This morning, we are back in Matthew. Uh, We're in chapter 6. We're about halfway through. We're going to be starting at verse 5, if you want to open up to that. Um, If you have one of those scripture journals, uh, hopefully we'll make some good use of those today. Otherwise, pull out your devices and whatnot. As we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, we're getting to the point where God God himself, in human form, Jesus, is going to tell us how to speak with him. And there's, um, there's some context here. He's coming off of the back of this sermon, uh, and it's part of this sermon. But there's some context here, because there's many ways to um, pray to the Lord. Jesus is specifically addressing an issue of the day. He's going to specifically address two issues. This week, we're just going to look at the first little portion where he tells us how to pray. How to pray. In the coming weeks, we'll be hitting those marks where he tells us the things to pray for, what we um, commonly know as the Lord's Prayer. But today, we're just kind of going through um, how to pray, specifically how we are to be praying to God. In the short form of it, it is that we are supposed to have an open, honest, straight conversation with him. A real one. It's not a chant. It's not a mantra. We're not praying at a figure in the sky. We are to speak with God. We'll read just through our little passage today before we open up. Um, Starting in verse 5, reads like this. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room. Shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. So what led us up to this point? The Sermon on the Mount, we've covered a wide variety of subjects. I'll list a few for you. We've been called to be poor in spirit. We've been called to be humble, remorseful, merciful, peaceful, peacemakers, those who have no anger in the heart, those who never lust, never lie, those who give generously without anyone knowing, those who love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. That's just to name a few, and that list is overwhelming. It's overwhelming. It's huge. Well, as we've been breaking these down piece by piece, every single one of those goes against our fleshly nature, goes against our pride, goes against our self. It's a very, very, very difficult list. It's not a simple one. And Jesus wasn't messing around either. He actually meant it. If you want to be perfect before the Father, all of these are on your list, the whole thing. If we call ourselves Christians, as if as though we're following after Christ, that's the list that we're signing up for. That's what we've signed up for. When we get baptized, even furthermore, we talk about baptism the 25th. When we get baptized, that's what we're telling the world out there that we're aiming for. That's what we're striving for. That's our goal. We don't want hypocrisy amongst us. The world will certainly see it. So if we want to actually hit a mark that that's, preci- that's that precise, this is an incredibly precise target. We have to, we have, to have a few things. We have to have a, a clear view of the goal. 
in order to hit a mark that precise. You have to have a heart that wants to reach it. We have to want to actually reach it. We have to have clear guidance from day to day because life is an ever-changing cycle. There's nothing new under the sun, but for us, our personal experiences are, are changing from day to day. There are new temptations from day to day. There are new struggles from day to day. More things on that list will pop up from day to day. And as we mature in Christ, those little hills start to look like mountains as we realize the depth of sin and the depth of human flesh. We need an internal supply that transcends human strength, that is beyond what a human in this fleshly coil is capable of having. And we need protection from temptation, as well as protection from an enemy that wants us to fail. An enemy, by the way, that happens to be the most powerful and the most beautiful of all of God's creation. That's how Scripture describes Satan. Didn't call us the most powerful. <laughs> We're actually pretty low on the list. I mean, uh, people die from dog bites. Like, <laughs> we're pretty low on the list, you know? Satan's the most powerful of all creation. Most beautiful. That's our adversary. We need protection from that. The real talk of this is all is that life is hard. This walk is hard. It is hard. No if, if, buts, or ands about it. You know, the three things in a different order. <laughs> and I think what, what, what gets challenging for us, I think what throws us off the course, I, I think the reason why the Christian walk can actually get harder as you get older is that we expect it to get easier. And that's kind of logical because most things get easier as you do them more. My brothers um, have all worked at Buck Knives at one time or another, and in Buck Knives, they handpiece everything. Everything is built from scratch, from the ground. And the first time you go to build a knife, they don't even let you work on the knives that are going to be sold because they know they're going to suck. <laughs> you're new. You're not going to do a good job. The knife's going to be ugly. The blade's going to be dull. It won't be polished properly. There's a million different things that can go wrong when you're piecing a knife together. And after a few months of just, well, probably not even that long, after a few work days, 10-hour, 8-hour shifts of work days, doing it over and over and over again, you start to get good at it. See, and that's what we're used to as humans. We're used to getting good at things. So why does the Christian walk not get easier? How come the more we, we, the more we mature, the harder the trials come? And it just seems tougher and tougher and tougher. The reason is simple, and it's the last thing I added with, um, ended with in my list, is that there's an enemy. A knife blade doesn't fight back with you. That's not our story. We have an enemy. We have an enemy that wants you, wants me, wants us to fail. So the more mature we get, the bigger we get in Christ, not of our own strength, Christ, the more mature we get, the bigger target we have on our backs. Target gets bigger. Someone is trying to stop us in a spiritual sense. That's what the enemy does. Our flesh is like a wall that needs to be broken down through our life. The problem is the more holes we break through it, the more the enemy pokes at us through the holes from the other side. He wants us to fill those holes right back up. He wants to tempt us into going back into the easier way and putting a block back in that place we just knocked it out of. It's harder. 
Satan attempted to stop Jesus. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like, I mean, it's not funny, but at the same time, it's like, what were you thinking? <laughs> he made you, but he's that arrogant. He attempted to stop Jesus, and, um, and it wasn't that long before the sermon, actually. Before the sermons um, that Jesus was preaching here, he was assembling his apostles. And then before that, he was in the desert being tempted. Right after he had been baptized by John the Baptist. We read about it in Matthew 4, um, which I think I put a slide in there. Sorry, Carson, if it's not there, but 4, 1 through 4. says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Imagine that. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, who we are to emulate, that's our goal, lived on every word of God. That includes Scripture, and prayer. Today we're going to look at prayer. Today we're looking at prayer. So open up to Matthew, or well, we're already there. Keep, keep in Matthew 6, um, verse 5. Um, Matthew's account of Jesus' sermon makes a shift here from giving generously in secret to seeking the Lord in secret. Remember, that's what we talked about previously was giving without your left hand knowing what your right hand's doing or vice versa, whatever it is. I don't know if you're lefty or righty. I don't know if that matters. But regardless, give without, give in such a way that it's not public, that it's secret. You give because it's unto the Lord, not as unto man. Prayer has become, for many, giving unto man, or rather grabbing the attention of man. Speaking with God was supposed to be relational. It was intended to be relational. And Jesus is going to address two ways in which, in his time, that prayer is being used not for relation, but for self. We see the first one in verse 5, and he says, um, Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. So he started with hypocrites. He doesn't necessarily say Pharisees, but we can infer from the passage that's probably who he's talking about. But he just says, don't be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So we start off with the hypocrites, um, those that are acting like they are speaking with God, they're pretending they're speaking with God, but are in fact attempting to be seen by men. So they're saying, I'm talking to God, but they're actually like, hey, look at me, I'm talking to God. So they're hypocr they're, 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 there's hypocrisy. They're hypocritical. <laughs> and she, Jesus is very blunt in his approach. You notice that. It occurred to me while, um, while, I, was, while I was doing the sermon that um, the people listening to him probably had somebody in mind. <laughs> they knew who he was talking about. Like, oh, yeah, he's talking about Bill. <laughs> Bill's out there all the time, just like, hey, out in the street corner. Like, it's kind of blunt. He's just straight up, don't be like that guy. Now, that's pretty blunt. I get nervous calling people out in any form of life, much less to a massive crowd. <laughs> it's crazy. The funny thing is there's no law demanding prayer on a street corner. The Pharisees were very strict about following all the rules and regulations. There's no law about that. The Pharisees would pray three times a day in the manner of Daniel, um, but it didn't say where you have to pray. You're supposed to face the city. But perhaps that was a planned out thing. You know, it's almost time to pray. Better make sure I'm walking on Sherman so everyone can see me. Like, 
First off, weird. <laughs> what are you doing, weird? Secondly, who wants to talk to someone that is only speaking to them so that everyone else will have a higher opinion of them? See, if we think of God in the relational, if we think of God in the way that we speak to each other, it gets really weird. It'd be so weird if I, all, the only time I talked to my wife was, all right, I want everyone to know I love my wife. Everyone's looking, hey, I want you to know I love you. I work hard for you. I love our son. I love our son. And um, I provide. What? That's weird. She's a person. We don't think of God as a person. Not all of us. I just mean it's harder for us to think of God as a person. It's harder to think of prayer as being a conversation with God himself. It's because he's invisible. It makes it difficult. This isn't really our struggle here in America 2021, though. Uh, the idea of walking down to Sherman for prayer on a busy day just to show how spiritual we are is kind of weird to us and awkward. We wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. We're, we're awkward praying here amongst people who love us. <laughs> Speaking up in the middle of prayer is awkward. Like we're, we're not really into that whole everyone look at me, I'm praying kind of thing. It's a little different for us. It doesn't get us cred in the world today, so maybe that's why. Maybe because it's kind of seen as awkward, maybe that's why. Maybe if we got cred, that would... <laughs> All the young people are laughing at cred. Uh, I feel very 31 now. <laughs> what we can relate to, though, or at least what I can definitely relate to, is um, praying because we feel like that's what we're supposed to do. I do this. I confess, I do this. You shouldn't do this. Keep in mind that God knows the heart of every mind and every individual in the room at the same time. That's crazy, right? What those around us hear is a simple prayer. What God actually hears is, Lord, I don't normally uh, pray over a meal, but I don't want to look ungrateful to you in front of those that do because he hears our heart. I don't actually normally pray over these. I don't feel like praying over this, but, but he's doing it, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. He hears that. He hears that heart. Lord, I don't normally pray in public, but I don't want to look like I won't pray in public in front of a person that does. And as a pastor especially, that pressure is heavy on me. I feel like not only do I need to pray in public, it better sound good, spiritual, I don't want to confuse what I mean here. I'm not saying that we're supposed to pray in those situations, that we must pray in those situations, and that we must do a good enough job of it. That's not what I'm saying. I mean that there are times for many of us that we're praying because it's what we feel like we're supposed to do, not because we're actually talking to God. For the Pharisees, that meant being seen on the street corner. For us, it's any time that we're saying words because that's what's expected of us. No one wants to speak with someone who is talking to them because that's what they feel like they're supposed to do. Honey, it's Valentine's Day. So I'm supposed to say I love you. I love you. <laughs> Doesn't work. Doesn't work. God is a person. It is very possible to always be genuinely speaking to the Lord while praying. It's very possible to do this. We can always be genuinely speaking to the Lord while praying. The beauty is that he has asked us to speak with him simply and just honestly. You could say something like this in your heart. Lord, I know I don't normally pray over a meal like this, but thank you for taking care of me today. Thank you for this provision. That's simple. 
Rather than feeling weird about the fact that you're praying when you normally wouldn't, just be like, yeah, maybe this isn't when I normally pray, but you know what? Thanks. It's odd and funny to me, but I really do sometimes forget that I can just be honest with God. Always. He already knows the truth. To be fair, praying to an invisible God is not natural to human experience. We're used to speaking in a human physical sense where there's a reaction, physical and emotional, to what we say. We can read people's faces. We can watch their body language. We can hear them speak back to us. We're not used to a spiritual sense. There are many ways to start speaking to God as if he's actually in the room. The best way that I've personally found is perfect for this because it's exactly what Jesus spoke in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who sees, uh, who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Praying to God in private so much of our struggle with um, to speak with God is um, as if he's actually here with us is distractions. We're so easily distracted. Again, it's like worrying about what other people are thinking of your prayer at the moment. It's these distractions. I want to uh, bring up something too. Last week I said that I feel like we don't pray enough as a church. Um, well, I still think that's true of, of humans in general. We have a hard time going to the Lord in prayer. I want to back up on that. I really want to back up on that. Um, And the reason why is because if you're not comfortable praying in public, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. I I, I hope that we all get to the point where we're comfortable praying openly in public together. But if you're not comfortable doing that and you're not going to actually be talking to God, you shouldn't. And you shouldn't feel guilty for that. You just need to spend more time in private prayer with the Lord where you're getting used to speaking to him. There should never be a prayer given because of pressure or expectations. I don't want to put that on you guys. Because we wouldn't want anyone speaking to us for that reason. Authenticity is what Jesus is going for here. Jesus prayed publicly many times before crowds. He's not forbidding public prayer. He's not saying you always have to pray in the secret place. His point is it's supposed to get relational. He never opposed public prayer. He, sp- he prayed with the disciples. He prayed over meals before crowds. He prayed many times publicly. The point he's making is that this is intended to be relational. He doesn't want us to do it for others. The crazy part is at the end of verse 6 is that he says he will, that we will be rewarded by our Father who sees in secret. Um, firstly, the, the word used for room is kind of a cool one. Um, RVG Tasker points out that the Greek word for um, the room into which we are to withdraw, to pray, is temeon um, or something, something similar to that. Language is hard. Two years. Man, that doesn't even seem like enough time. <laughs> but it was used for the storeroom where treasures might be kept. The secret storeroom that you might have protected because you don't want someone finding the treasures, in a sense. And so the idea that it infers is that when you go into that secret room, there's treasure. There is reward in that room. It's to be protected. For the believer, the, the reward from prayer um, are given in the most secret place possible. The inward heart, the soul, the spirit, the mind. This is where the rewards from prayer come. It seems weird to think of, I'm not working for a reward. We mean talking to God, talking to someone. I, I shouldn't be rewarded when I talk to somebody. But there's actual rewards, and that is things like, he gives us his peace. That's a reward. 
We don't think in, in rewards in those terms, but he gives us his peace. That's life-changing. He refreshes our soul. He satisfies our hunger. He quenches our thirst. We come to the realization that we're no longer prodigals. We have been forgiven, no longer alienated. We've come home. These are rewards from God that we get when we enter into prayer with him. John Stott said, just as nothing destroys prayer like a sideways, uh, side glances at human spectators, so nothing enriches, I love this, enriches it like the sense of the presence of God. If you haven't felt that enrichment uh, as you realize, you sense that God is in the room speaking with you, that you're not just praying at empty space, you're missing out on reward that he's promised. Find it in the secret place. Find it in the silence. Find it in the quiet room. You'll find it where there's no distractions. And the more you get used to talking to him and the more you're comfortable with talking to him, the more you're going to be able to speak with him genuinely in front of others. Distractions will just fade away. None of the blessings uh, we listed are there for the person that doesn't speak with God in their own heart. The second way that Jesus corrects improper prayer is more along the lines of pagan idolatry in verse 7. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father uh, knows the things you need before you ask him. So in contrast to the Pharisees, the Gentiles who came from a pagan background, it would make more sense to them, um, rather than being concerned about what others were seeing them as holy, it would make sense to them to repeat things and babble a lot and, and say a whole bunch of words. You know, a, a quick prayer isn't going to grab God's attention. They need a, an abundance of words. This I understand a little bit more well than the whole idea of praying publicly. Um, as I mentioned earlier, first off, I am a filthy Gentile, so that helps. But secondly, <laughs> again, as a pastor, <laughs> as a pastor, I have felt that I needed to pray in certain quota of words. I need this many. When we go to pastor's conferences, we're surrounded by all these pastors. We can pray for 20 minutes, whole paragraphs, and make it sound like it came right out of Scripture. Gorgeous. Wow. It's a lot of pressure on a spiritual leader. No one-sentence prayers here. We must fill the empty space so it's not awkward and do so eloquently. This is useless and even hindering posture because it intimidates those around us. I don't want to intimidate anyone. Unfortunately, I'm not that swift with the tongue, obviously. <laughs> Silver tongue. I'm not, I don't have that kind of a tongue. We're not to aim for that. Jesus' point is that for each individual thing, we're to ask simply. doesn't mean that we can't pray long. I've heard people pray for a long time, but they prayed for like 10 different things, and they just talked to him like he was in the room. That was great. He doesn't want us to go overcomplicated and sound super spiritual and repeat things over and over and over again to show our dedication. I don't want to throw shade at the Catholics. <laughs> but no, I'm just not I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I said I don't want to, I'm not going to. <laughs> oh man. I apologize to any Catholics watching. You love the Lord, He died for your sins, you're saved. I we we can talk. Anyways. The conclusion is this. God designed us with the ability to communicate our needs to him. 
He designed us, you and me, with the ability to communicate our needs to him. He is spiritual, we're physical, and he still gives us the ability to communicate with him. He could have created us anyway. He chose to give us the ability to communicate with him. Not so that we could know our need, or not so that he could know our needs, so that we could draw close to him. So that we can understand what we need before him. And as we go through the Lord's Prayer over the next few weeks, we're going to see things that we need. We're going to see hearts, mentalities, attitudes that we need to have in order to follow after him correctly. Because again, it's hard. <laughs> but he gives us the opportunity. He gives us the open window. He gives us a, an, an open door to speak with him. So that we can draw closer to him and understand what he has for us. And we will never draw close to him if we are never speaking with him directly. The best place to do that is in our own hearts and away from distraction. I'm going to have the worship team come back up um, as we close. And I want to try something out. I want to try something out. Um, I want us to pray. And we've got things to pray for. We've got... We've got Travis and Becky in the house. We've got YWAM who are heading out in a year, and they've got lots of prep to do. We've got community events coming up. We've got things in our own lives that need, a, um, need help from the Lord. I want us to actually go into a quiet time of prayer. And, um, I mean, we do that fairly often, but as a body, I want, us, I want us to start with praying for Travis and Becky in our hearts. And I want you guys to act like God's in the chair right in front of you. Like you're speaking to him directly and interceding for these two and all their little ones. And ask him to provide for them. I want us to go to him in this moment, all of us collectively but silently, blocking out the distractions in our heads and just intercede for these two. So let's bow our heads.